If you're tired of dieting and stepping on the scale, you're lacking energy and confidence, and you're ready to harness your inner athlete, then you're in the right place. I'm Sherry Shaban, and in each episode, I'll help you to rebuild your fitness identity and empower your deepest transformation so that health and fitness are not just what you do, but who you are. What's up, athletes? Welcome back to the show. On this episode of Fall in Love with Fitness, we are speaking with Michael Harris, who's known as the Swiss Army Knife of Awesomeness. He's got a knack for lifting others up and making magic happen. He's known as a health guru, a storytelling wizard, and even a business whisperer. With four best-selling books and more to follow to his name, Michael is the real deal when it comes to coaching, training, and unleashing your inner imagination. He's on a mission to help folks from all walks of life share their message and make a real splash in the world. Picture this. Michael started yoga in 1987 after a close call with the Grim Reaper. By 99, he was training thousands of students and teachers, leaving them confident and untwisted. He's even coached yoga businesses to boost their memberships and make a small fortune. His official mission? Scaling butts without stumbling down. But his wildest dreams? Leaping across a wide creek on a pogo stick or casually sipping lemonade while someone else attempts it first. How fun is that? Athletes, I loved this conversation with Michael, and I'm so excited to share this with you. And here is what you're going to walk away with today after listening to this conversation. Number one, how to overcome the resistance in your mind to create the change you want to see. Number two, how to release weight from our dark moments in life and prepare for the best moments in the present. Number three, how to practice mindfulness and learn to be here now and in the present moment. And finally, number four, how to take inspired action to get the law of attraction to work. Hi, Michael. Welcome to the show. Uh, hi, I'm, I'm really happy to be here today, Sherry. I am too. And I'm, I'm so excited to have this conversation with you. And as I was reading your bio, Michael, I noticed that we have a lot of similarities in our stories. And so you are a yoga teacher, you are a trainer, you're a coach, you're an author, you're an entrepreneur, and you help people find courage to publicly speak. And what's super interesting also is that you have this other backstory where you struggled with health issues, addictions, and low self-esteem for a long part of your journey until you decided to own your story and use that to not only recreate your life, but also to help others transform theirs. So I honor you, first of all, for speaking and sharing your story and then super admire you for being able to overcome what you have gone through. And maybe we could start there and you can maybe share with the audience a little bit about you and your background. Well, thank you, Sherry. And I really appreciate being on your show. And I, I mentioned to you earlier that I listened to one of your last discussions with Edward Visky, and I really loved what he was talking about and everything that he's gone through. And last year, you had Ann Hines on as well. And you just got some really, really great conversations with some really powerful people that have experienced their own transformation. So for those listeners that are listening, yes, listen to this discussion, but you know, go back and listen to some of the old shows, not just the recent ones, but the ones from a year ago, you know, and go through them because there, there's so much meat there. 
to hear and so many little golden nuggets that, that I heard. And so I, I wanted to mention that to start. When I was 27 years old, 1986, I ended up at OHSU, Oregon Health Sciences University. I was on a cane. I could barely walk. And as I'm lying there, I'd, I'd gone through a couple of doctors and they said I needed to go to the vascular department of the hospital. And I didn't really know what that meant at the time. And I ended up in, you know, finding out that my right leg was 100% blocked with clotification with, with atherosclerosis. And my left leg was 65% blocked. I didn't know I had a problem with my left. My right was hurting so much. And they very quickly told me that they would likely have to amputate my legs and I may not live very long. And I did the first surgery and that was good. But within a month, I started getting blood clots and such and back in the hospital. And then a, a few months after that, again, they said my legs had reblocked and I needed to have another surgery. And I left the hospital AMA because I told them they weren't going to cut me again. I wasn't going to let it happen. And I had no idea where I was going to go or what I was going to do. I just knew really from, I recognize it now from within, I really knew from within that the answer wasn't to keep getting more surgery. I say that, but I'm going to just reel back just a little bit in my history even prior to that. At 12 years old, I was in a water skiing accident, and I had had 60% of my liver removed, 21 blood transfusions, collapsed lung, coma, near-death experience, died and came back. And I became really angry at the world. Instead of being like thrilled with my near-death experience, I was upset at God for sending me back because I didn't want to come back. So from about a year after that, as a young teenager, I started drinking and smoking pot and um, did that essentially up till my surgeries in 1986 on, on my legs and realized that really all those things had brought me to that point. And I had a choice to either live or die. And when I left the hospital AMA against medical advice, my choice was to live. I did not know how I was going to do it, but I knew that something needed to change. So that first part of my life was pretty rough. But I now recognize that much of those events and those experiences that happened to me, which still seems unreal because I go back and I, even when I'm talking about it, I feel connected, but a little disconnected because I think, was that really me? Did that really happen to me? That must have been somebody else. But I realized that, you know, manure is one of the best fertilizers in the world. So all of those experiences that I went through, my health, my drinking, and all those things was really just a lot of fertilizer for me to grow. I needed a lot of fertilizer. Some people don't need so much, but I need you know, like truckloads, you know, a whole train of cars filled with manure. So things began to shift. And I look back at, as well, and there were some hints along the way, and I didn't recognize it at first. When I left the hospital, a number of months later, I ended up at a place called the Pritikin Longevity Center. The Pritikin Longevity Center, this was in 1987, was 
pretty close to the Santa Monica Pier. It was, it was on the boardwalk right there at the time. And I read a book and, you know, basically they were talking more about diet and weight. And I did not have a weight issue. If anything, I was underweight. But one of the things that stuck out about me is that they said, you do these things and you will start to get healthier, right? If you have vascular issues, your vascular issues will begin to dissipate. So I went down there, still on my cane, able to walk maybe 10 feet, holding a wall on one side and the cane on the other side. You know, could barely walk. And there was a doctor there, and I remember sitting in the in the ground floor of this building talking to the doctor, and he said, well, this is what I suggest you do. He says, I suggest you just get up and walk and start walking on the boardwalk as much as you can. Eat as much food here as you can. Now, it was all plant-based food, so... There wasn't, you know, a lot of fat or, or that kind of stuff. And says, he says, eat as much as you want. And I said, you know, well, what do you mean walk? It hurts. He says, yes, I know. But by walking, you're doing something that you're not doing by sitting. there. And this was a, a huge thing for me at the time. And in hindsight, it's still a huge thing. But it says, as you start to walk, you're going to get into pain. You're going to feel a lot of pain. And what that pain is from is from the lack of blood flow in your legs and in your calves. And he says, it's going to send signals up to your brain and tell your brain that you need more blood. And the brain's going to send signals back into your legs and your vascular system to start building new arteries. So as I did this process and went out there walking on the boardwalk, you know, I might have walked 10 feet, stop, might have walked 11 feet, stop, might have gone 12 feet. But within two weeks, I went from walking 10 feet to two miles. Wow. Just by walking, just by this doctor saying, don't worry about it. Just get up and walk. So good. Yeah. So as I did that, you know, my life began to change. I let go of alcohol. You know, I'm 64 now and I'm almost 35 years without a drink or anything else or cigarette, you know, any of that stuff. So almost 35 years sober. So I'm really close. So a lot has changed. Wow. So powerful and so much to unpack there. And it's so interesting because there's this level of pain. There's this level of discomfort that we must endure, that we must go through in order for us to really come out transformed on the other side. And that can only take true bravery and faith, Michael, I believe. And I see this all the time, especially with athletes, which is what I call my clients who are starting their fitness journey and their body doesn't yet know that there is this discomfort that they have to go through until it starts to adapt. Because to your point, our body tries to keep us safe by making us do less and being more comfortable and not allowing us to go through that pain because it's just it's just protecting us. It loves us. It wants to stay where we are. And so by going through that little incremental change, really focusing and committing on becoming 1% better every single time, you go from those 10 feet to two miles. And it's so beautiful and so inspiring. And as you're talking, there's just a lot of resonance with your story and my story. Because when I first was hit by a car, I was also 16 years old. 
And when I was told that I couldn't play sports, I was so angry. And my form of rebellion sounded a lot like yours. And it's interesting how we turn to things that soothe us, that almost alter our present moment, our present circumstances, in order for us to feel better. And I remember that moment where I decided enough was enough, and this is not my standard. I absolutely do not tolerate one more moment of this life anymore that really propelled me to start to take action. And so for anyone who comes onto the show who's had this amazing transformational story, I'm always so curious about that moment that really just clicked for you, that line in the sand moment. Because I think if we learn how to harness this moment, if we understand that we can bring ourselves to this point of no more tolerating our current circumstance, we can then flip the script and really start to rewrite our story and realize that we are the creators of our own life. So maybe you can expand a little bit on that moment, that day where you decided, I am not taking the doctor's advice and I am taking my health into my own hands and I'm finding my own way and I'm ditching the addictions and all of the negative talk and self-talk that I have been doing for so long. So maybe share that a little bit. Well, I have more than one of them, <laughs> but, but that, that moment lying in the hospital in 1987 where they wanted to do more surgery. And it was a professor, an assistant professor of vascular surgery, the top guys in the world that, you know, write the textbooks on vascular disease and surgery. And technically, they're really good at what they do. And there was a few other doctors, a few other surgeons there. But as I was lying there, again, at the time, I didn't really know much of anything. I mean, I kind of had been exposed to a few things, but I don't remember it really being on my mind. I just knew there was something that said, no, don't do it. And I listened to that as much as the doctors were telling me, you know, if you don't do this, we're going to be cutting your legs off. And we already told you, you know, you got maybe six months at, at the most. And it was just like, well, what the heck, if that's all that they say that I got, why not go try something else? But I didn't know what it was. I didn't know about the predicate. I didn't know about walking. I didn't know about yoga. I, I didn't know about the effect of food on my body. I had no idea. I just knew at that moment I couldn't do what I was doing. And again, I mean, I could give you a whole list of different moments that, that I've had. Even the, the day that I ended up letting go of the drink and the addictions, it's like, I literally had a swooshing feeling in my body. It was just like, I'm done. And I literally felt the sensation in my body. And I knew it was done. I just knew it. Right? There, there wasn't any doubt in my mind. And, you know, it happened again. And when, when I had three teaching certifications for yoga, but when I, I went to Bikram, was, is one of my certifications. Many of the listeners may know of him. He's a wild and crazy guy. But when I went to him in 98, I did not go to him to become a teacher. I went to heal myself. I wanted to study from some bona fide yoga master dude at the time, right? And I show up, I still had some pain in my, in my left leg from my atherosclerosis. It hadn't totally gone. You know, my pain was at one or two, maybe sometimes at three, a little bit higher occasionally. But it was essentially gone, but I wanted it to go away. I just wanted to get rid of it. So we're there, we're in what he calls posture clinic and studying some of the postures. And there's a posture called standing head to knee. 
where you're standing on one leg, you're kicking the other leg out, and you bring your head down to your knee. Well, my left leg would kind of scream out in that posture. It wasn't a three, it would be a seven or eight in that posture. And I wanted to get rid of the pain. And he said something to me that is still the single biggest lesson I've ever learned in yoga. And it's not how to do a triangle or how to breathe or anything else. It's very simple. Don't worry about it. Forget about it. Just do the yoga. And it's. It, I realized that it was similar to what the doctor at the Pritikin Center said, don't worry about it. Just get up and walk. And Bikram just said, don't worry about it. Forget about it. Just do the yoga. Well, you know, I wanted to worry about it. I wasn't going to forget about it. And heck with him, if this isn't going to work, you know, I'm going to go somewhere else. But within about two weeks, as I kept doing the, the yoga, even though I would be kind of in the back of the room and pouting sometimes and all this, you know, eventually one day I'm standing there in this posture on my left leg and I'm coming into the posture and the full expression of the posture. I have no more pain. And I have tears coming down my face, and it's just like, oh. So, I mean, there's another moment. And, you know, so I just mentioned three three different moments that this idea of don't worry about it, forget about it, keeps coming up in different ways. You know, and it's said by, I hear by different doctors. There's a David Hamilton, Dr. David Hamilton, if you've heard of him. He calls himself the kindness scientist, and he designed cancer and vascular and cardiovascular drugs for AstraZeneca for years, for several decades. And then he realized that placebo effect, the so-called placebo effect in our mind, had way more effect on our body than the drugs did. So he left the pharmaceuticals and any of the listeners, you can go out and explore his work. And I mean, it's really amazing. He talks about kindness. He talks about not worrying about it. You know, 90% of emissions in hospitals today are stress-related. 90%, not 9, not 19, 90% are stress-related. Well, if they're stress-related, then why is it that, that they're trying to treat us primarily through physical medicine rather than helping us to reduce the stress, calming our minds, finding happiness, finding joy and peace? And so... Again, I mean, I can keep going with more moments, but there's three. Sure. That's beautiful. And and it sounds like you've just built this practice around creating more resilience. And as you're sharing your story, Michael, and what I'm hearing that's coming up is resistance, right? Is us wanting to do something and our body wanting to do something, but the mind creating resistance and shifting the focus on something uncomfortable. And I think we all have this resistance and it's, it's that resistance to change because it takes that effort, that added input of energy in order to create the change. And then we get to decide what we want to focus on, whether that's the resistance of how challenging this is, how hard this is, how much this may be uncomfortable or painful at the moment. And when we focus on that, we actually just get in our own way. And it's so interesting because I always kind of try to trick my mind and I ask myself when I'm in those moments of resistance, I ask myself, is this real pain or fake pain? Because real pain is going to be something that's always there, right? It's that pain that keeps me up at night. It's that pain that's constantly, constantly there reminding me all the time how it's there and there's this big red flag happening. And then the fake pain is that pain that goes away 
as soon as I stopped doing that thing, right? So as soon as I put my foot down, let's say in that posture that you were holding, the pain goes away. So that's fake pain. That's more the mind creating the resistance. And the goal is not to fight that, I think. I think the goal is really to just embrace that and know that it's going to come up. And as I try something new and I'm outside my comfort zone, I will be met by that same resistance. And then it's my job to really just honor it, know that it's there, acknowledge it, and then shift my focus onto exactly where I want to go. Yeah, absolutely. And I love the way you just said that. One of the things that resistance, the way it comes up for me, I've often made a judgment about myself. You know, I can judge other people too, but it's just like a, a resistance kind of manifests itself in judgment first, right? Then victim. Oh, I'm a victim of this. And then it gets into anger, and then it gets into resentment. Now, sometimes that can all happen in about a quarter of a second. It can be a very fast process. But as I get into that resistance, it's like, oh, poor me, aren't I a victim in all of this? And, well, F them and all, you know, you know. Right. It's their fault. Blame on others. Right. And that that resistance oftentimes manifests itself as issues in our tissues. You know, we get that pain stuck in there and we start bumping up against it. We get uncomfortable. So we think, oh, I need to like, you know, not be uncomfortable, right? Where being uncomfortable a little bit helps to release that, whatever it is that we're holding on that's holding us back. Oh, so good. And, you know, as we're talking about this, I'm just thinking how this is really not our fault. And we have actually been conditioned through our society to not be in that resistance, to always find the easy way out and everything. And if, and if you think about it, and you're a little bit far along your journey than I am, and I'm sure you've also seen a massive change. I was actually having this conversation with my kids just the other day, and I was saying, I really feel for you guys because you're in a very different age. You're growing up with Snapchat being a normal thing, with TikTok being a normal thing, with instant gratification being a normal thing, while we were playing with cardboard boxes as kids and playing in the, in the park, essentially, right? And so now they're just, they're just downloading that there has to be this particular level of ease in which we receive everything. They, we don't need to work for our food. We don't need to work to cook. We don't need to work for anything. Everything has to come so easy for us. And so when we're growing up in that space where we're not used to having resistance and suddenly we meet resistance for the first time, we don't know what to do with it. And so we try to escape it. We're now trying to find for a way to numb that feeling or we automatically start to take this on us as a form of failure, as a form of we are not enough but not really realizing that that's just the part, a normal part of growth is being able to control the monkey mind as you refer to it and understand that there takes this level of effort in order for us to really be able to create our lives. And I keep saying the word create because life doesn't happen to us. It happens for us and it's through our thoughts and it's through our choices. And so maybe we can actually start talking a little bit about the monkey mind and maybe first off, start by explaining what is this monkey mind? Because I think a lot of us are going to recognize that immediately in ourselves. Let me tell you a little story about that. Because I used to, when I say I used to, say 30 years ago, 25, 30 years ago, 
I would have in my mind, you know, these, as I called them, the monkeys coming in, you know, and, and monkeys can be mischievous, right? So these thoughts that were going on in my mind, and, you know, I started thinking, well, if I give a monkey, or if I give them bananas, they will start to calm down and everything will be better, right? And yes, that is true. That worked. And then they would leave and they would come back and, you know, then they would do their thing and they would want more bananas. Well, 20 some years ago, I was in Agra, India, and I was Agra is where the Taj Mahal is. And we were in the Taj Palace. I think it was the name of the hotel, the Taj Palace. And it was either the second or there was a third floor of the hotel, the top floor of the hotel. And there were guys walking around outside with these long bamboo sticks. They were essentially sticks to chase the monkeys away. You know, they were 12 feet long or something. Because the monkeys would come and climb up on the balconies. Well, you know, inside my window at the balcony, there was a big basket of fruit, right? You know, bananas and apples and all the different fruits. And the hotel would say, you know, keep the door closed so the monkeys don't get in is they'll come in after that. Well, one of the people I was traveling with was in the room next door. He left the door open. He got out of the shower, and there was a bunch of monkeys in the room eating all the fruit, and they chased him back into the bathroom, right? Because they, they wanted the fruit. Where in my room, when I came out, out of the bathroom after my shower, the door was closed, and the monkeys were on the balcony, but they couldn't get in. So I realized that, oh, if I put a basket of bananas out there for them, they're going to come for them, right? And they're going to be angry because they want them all. But if I close the door and don't let them in, they're going to go somewhere else. So when, when I take a look at that, I think, well, that's the same with my mind. If I let the monkeys in, they're going to keep coming back and keep wanting another basket of fruit. But if I just say, no, you can't come in, yeah, you can look maybe sometimes through the window, but that's as far as you're going to get. I just want you to go away. So again, it's the mindset. What are we thinking about? Are we going to feed those thoughts that are kicking around, that are hurting us? Are we going to keep feeding them and growing them? Or are we going to stop feeding them and begin to allow ourselves to have that the kindness thoughts, the happy thoughts, the joyful thoughts. So it's really our choice and it's our mindset. We are not a victim of our thoughts. Oh, I love that so much. What a story. And that's that's really powerful. What a beautiful metaphor. And I love, again, just you saying that we are not the victim of our story. And I know we all have a story. And that was really what led me to start this podcast and talk about falling in love with fitness, because we all have a story. And we can continue to be the victim of the story by feeling sorry for ourselves, by feeling powerless, and blaming everyone else or our circumstances or the government or the banking system or COVID or whatever it is, continue to blame everything on everyone else and feel that transformation is outside of us, that someone else has to do it for me, right? And I think we see this often. We sign up for a course and we believe it's the teacher that should transform us or we go to a yoga class and it should be the teacher that forces me to change my state and I should feel a different way and start to become more mobile and more comfortable with the postures. 
But what we don't realize is that it's our responsibility to own all the circumstances that happen in our lives, even if they were so traumatic and so awful. And by owning it, it's really just accepting it and removing that blame, removing that judgment that's outside of ourselves. And then realizing that everything else on top of that is layers and layers and layers of, I'm going to call them big fat lies, but they're really belief systems that we've created that have been blocking us, that have become almost rules in which we live our life by. And we cannot, from that place of disempowerment, make any change. And your, your previous guest, Anne Hines, which I mentioned earlier, she said something in there that, you know, I made a, a note of because it kind of jumped out and was so powerful. It says, fill the weight of our burdens that we carry through our life. And it's just like, if we can release those burdens that we're carrying, everything can change. And sometimes quickly, I mean, sometimes almost instantly, we can feel the shift and the change from changing our mind, from making a different decision. You know, all those burdens, so to speak, that happened in my life, you know, my accident, my surgeries, my drinking and the problems that all those things cause, so to speak, aren't really problems anymore. They're gifts that have been given to me to be able to grow and to be able to see more each day. And even my story, the way that I see my story and the way that I understand my story shifts and change. You know, it's not just like, oh, I had this terrible childhood and drank too much and had this accident and yada, yada, yada. Well, what is that trying to teach me? What is it trying to show me about who I am in my life and my place in the world? You know, so I, I can shift, you know, again, from that victim into a place of, oh, wow, wasn't this amazing? You know, some of my, my most powerful moments have been moments where I was in trouble for something, right? You know, it's just like, Talking about God realization, God realization doesn't come just from these moments of bliss. It comes from the moment of shit, right? Like, oh my God, how could this be happening? I mean, literally, those are the words we say, oh my God, how could this be happening? And God says, well, it's happening because you need to learn this lesson so you can go to the next level. So again, there's a big rabbit hole we could go down. Oh, I love this rabbit hole. And, and I truly believe everything is preparation for the next thing. If you had a lot of difficult relationships, your heart was broken, you had a lot of experiences that maybe weren't so positive. Instead of keeping that as dark moments in your life and experiences and memories that you don't want to call back on, maybe those were meant to happen because they prepared you for the relationship that you're in now. And the same thing with money struggles or the same thing with injuries or any other life struggles, any life experience that we had that was incredibly painful, it happened to prepare us for this present moment. And now we can decide, we can hold back, we can decide, oh my God, I had the worst experiences, men are the worst and they're awful and they're all cheaters and they're all this. Or you realize I had to have gone through all these things because now I can be in a space where I learned what it is to be vulnerable. I learned what it is that I actually need out of a relationship. I've learned what it is to feel safe in a relationship. And I had to have gone through those experiences to prepare me for the one that I'm currently in. And it's so incredibly powerful because when we realize that all of these things happen for us, 
we start to actually see how our life is unfolding and how we can come to this present moment where we find the joy. And the joy comes through that level of acceptance. And I think the more that we resist our circumstances, the more that we resist these things that have happened to us, we can't come to that place of peace and surrender and tranquility and joy. Yeah, totally. One of the things I realized, and, and I believe life and nature teaches us everything we need to know if we just are willing to look. There's this thing called mindfulness. You know, it's kind of a nebulous word, mindfulness. Well, what does it really mean? And, you know, you can go get mindfulness training and do all of these different types of things, but most of us do mindfulness training every day and don't even realize it. It's called driving our car. When we're driving down the street, there's lines. You're supposed to stay within the lines. There's stop signs. There's go signs. There's cars coming fast. There's cars coming slow. There's big trucks. There's drunk drivers. There's all sorts of different things. And by being mindful as we drive, we're learning to recognize all these things and stay calm so we can drive. Now, we may start to get angry. We might want to flip off somebody. We might be on the phone. You know, we might be eating. All those different distractions that happen. But if we keep coming back to being present, which I love what you talk about being present, is being present in the moment, driving a car is perhaps the best mindfulness training we can do. But we don't even realize it. Yeah. And I'm going to add exercise also. Oh, absolutely. Like as a yoga teacher... I mean, it's, it's true with fitness, too. As a yoga teacher and a yoga practitioner, your mat, 24 by 68 inches, you know, come in there as adults. We either live in the past or we live in the future. And part of the practice is really learning to be in the present. And we do that with fitness, too, you know, in, in different ways. And like what the way that you teach and the way that you work, it's getting to that present moment, you know, without worrying about about the future without worrying about the past is be here now. Oh, I love that. And it's so true what you said, because I find most of us who struggle with our goals, any goal, whether it's health and fitness or around finances or other areas of our lives, we are stuck in the past or in the future, right? And we're stuck in the past because we're always thinking about all the terrible experiences or the limiting beliefs, the bad things that happened, how many times we've tried and never worked out for us, or things that we found painful from trying certain things and feeling disappointed. And then we're in the future because we're always thinking about that goal. When I release X number of pounds, then I'll be happy. When I make all that money, then I'll be happy. And so we're stuck in this space where we can never really be fully present in what we're doing, realizing that we're actually doing all the things right now. We're actually doing all the right things, but we're always focused on this point in the future that we don't really know when is going to come that is really tied to our happiness and our joy and also that ultimate feeling of success that we don't get to honor that present moment of generosity. And the moment we come to this space, Michael, the moment we realize that we're doing all of the things right now, it starts to feel very light and easy. It starts to feel like all of the things that I'm doing, I'm doing for myself now out of love and not because there's this transaction that I'm creating between doing this one thing in exchange for that other thing in the distant future, which I don't know exactly when I'll be able to arrive at. Yeah, I love that. And, you know, if I can just briefly mention what is called the law of attraction, 
you know, but there's all this idea about the secret of the law of attraction and, you know, all these different trainings there as well. Well, I would put out to you and, and all the listeners and everything is, I realize this, that, you know, I can sit here and in my mind, think about a tofu veggie rice bowl, right? In my mind. So I pictured in my mind, this thing that I want for dinner. Well, to go get that, I actually have to get in the car, go to the store, pick out the tofu, the veggies, the rice or quinoa, whatever I want on there, go to the checkout, exchange karma, money for that, come back, put it together, make my dinner and sit down. And now I have this bowl, this veggie uh, rice bowl, tofu rice bowl that I had been thinking of. And I have just implemented the law of attraction. And we do that in so many different ways. So if we want to create a happy, peaceful life, what are the pieces that we need to do that? If we want to create a stronger, more fit body, what do we need to, to do to get there? Well, we need to go to Sherry. We need to go get her new app. We need to do these different things. You know, and so that law of attraction thing, again, there, there's a lot of mysticism around it, yet we do it every single day. And if we already do it, we already know how to do it, then we can implement anything we want. I love that. You know what I love what you said was you're at the store and you're exchanging money, that transaction, that karma for something else. And what we don't realize and how many of us, I believe, and even myself when I first came across the law of attraction was it was all about me, 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 I, 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 I want, I want, I want, 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 right? These are all the things I want to create in my life. But here is the thing. There is a transaction where you need to give in order to receive. So if I need more love in my life, I'm probably not giving enough love in my life. Maybe the people around me are actually not experiencing my love. And that's why I don't receive that in return. I want a more abundance and more money. Well, maybe I'm not being generous and I need to be more abundant in all the things that I do. And so there is this exchange of energy that needs to happen in order for you to receive because really receivership is through giving. And many of us don't think about this way. We're always actually focused on the lack, what we don't have. And then we use the law of attraction to full fulfill whatever is missing in our lives. And so I actually more believe, Michael, in the law of resistance. And I actually believe that we have everything we already need right now. And what we've done instead is create resistance, limiting beliefs or feeling not enough or feeling unworthy. And that's actually what's getting in the way of us receiving all of these things. Because the moment we realize that, that we are actually creating the resistance, we're able to be in that space where we can now give and we can offer and we can clearly see what it is that we are not putting out because we get what we put out ultimately. And that is the exchange of energy in the universe. It's not one way, it's two way. And whatever it is that we're missing right now, whatever it is that we've been trying to accomplish, I bet if we reviewed our thoughts, our emotions and our actions, we would realize that that's not what I've been putting out. I've been wanting abundance, yet everything I'm talking about is scarcity. I've been acting in scarcity. I've been treating others in scarcity. Even my own self, I've been treating in scarcity, and yet I'm wanting the abundance. And so there is no alignment there. There is no resonance, and you're not attracting anything towards you. What you are attracting is what you're putting out, which is more scarcity and more actions of scarcity. Yeah, that's the law of attraction, right? But there's, John Asraf was the first one 
I believe that that said this about the law of attraction, and it's the law of Goya. Have you heard of the law of Goya? G-O-Y-A? The law of Goya is get off your ass, right? So to get the law of attraction to work, you actually got to take action. So like for me to go get that tofu veggie rice bowl, I had to take action to manifest what I wanted in my life. If I'm practicing the law of resistance, that's a law of action as well. But the action is the resistance, right? So where do I want to apply that? If I want to track that, then I got to do the action to make it happen. It's not going to fall from the sky. I've never had a tofu veggie rice bowl fall from the sky. I've never had Aunt May drop 10 million bucks on me. It hasn't happened. Right. And you know, Michael, I would even add just one more word in front of that action, which is inspired action. And that's really the difference, right? Inspired is excited, right? If I'm a salesperson and I'm supposed to call 100 leads and yet I've got a, a financial goal to meet at the end of the month, but every time I pick up the phone, I'm like, God, here we go again. I'll have to talk to this person again. Like, oh, here we go. Like it's another 30 minutes of my time. And that's not inspired. Then how can I create that energy that I am trying to attract to myself. So it's the inspired action. It's it's really you expanding outside yourself and realizing that whatever you're doing is not just for you. It truly is for the greater good. There's a greater purpose as to why you want to do this. And it's way more meaningful than just getting into your bathing suit in summer and going on a trip and these very small goals that oftentimes we set up as the ultimate outcome that we are working towards. And so if we can expand past that to really Really think about how whatever it is that we're doing is meant to serve a greater purpose, even if that is me just transforming my health and fitness, realizing that it's going to impact my kids, it's going to impact my household, it's going to impact the generations that follow, and that becomes a much more powerful drive and a much more exciting way and easier way to be able to take that inspired action. I love that, Sherry. It's true, the inspired action actually creates and manifests more than anything else. You know, and that salesman that's sitting there, instead of being upset that he's got to talk to another person, it's just like another salesperson might say, oh, I get to talk to another person. Maybe I can help him rather than I have to. I get to. It's a joy to do that. You know, like, like with you as a fitness trainer, it's just like, oh, I get to have another client come in and perhaps I can help them along their journey. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I love this conversation so much, Michael. I love your mindset. I love the way your brain works. I've, I've really enjoyed connecting with you and we're so aligned in so many ways. And so as we conclude today, is there anything else that you wanted to share that you haven't had a chance to yet? One of the things, and maybe we've touched on this a little bit as well, that I have really discovered that truly anything is possible. So if you're a listener and you're discouraged about something, you don't think that you can work out, you don't think you can do something, maybe take another look at it. You know, it's this, this whole idea of don't worry about it and, you know, forget about it. That doesn't mean that we neglect ourselves. That means we take the worry out of what's happening. You know, one of the goals that I had last year, which has come into this year as well, is especially because at one point I could barely walk and didn't know whether I was going to have my legs or even live, is I made a goal where I live in Central Oregon. We have these small volcanic buttes everywhere, hundreds of them, more than I can count. 
And I made a decision that I was going to go to the top of one every single week, once a week. So even this afternoon, after I call, after our, our conversation, I'm going to go do that. I'm going to go up and down a, a butte real quick off trail, finding my own way up and down. But it's just like going up to the top, realizing, you know, that there's a whole new view, a whole new perception from the top. I've never been on the top of a butte that looked the same as the top of another butte. So perhaps find something that inspired action that I heard you say. If you're listening to this, is find something that inspires you. It doesn't have to be complicated. Perhaps it's in nature. I believe nature is really vital to our well-being, especially with our phones and Zoom and, and, and everything else. But getting out, be inspired, be joyful. And I have this little card that I like to hold up sometimes. It just keep says, smiling. keep smiling, you know. So like, no matter what, and even at those down moments, okay to have down moments, it's part of the ebb and flow, but know that we can come back to the smile and the joy as well. Oh, so beautiful. What a beautiful light you are, Michael. So if somebody wanted to reach out to you and grab your new book, which I think just launched last week, where can they go to do that? Well, I have several places. Perhaps one of the best places right now is Interpoint. Dot com I-N-N-E-R-P-O-I-N-T-E, so point with an E, innerpoint.com. And there's our new book is available there. It was number one in yoga, number one in meditation, and number one in alternative therapies. And I'll just briefly mention, it's not about how to do yoga or how to do meditation or even how to apply alternative therapies. It's really coming back to that idea of don't worry about it. There's a number of essays in there of people that, like you and, and me, Sherry, that have discovered something in, within that shifted their lives. It's really more experience, strength, and hope than anything else. So if you're listening, I invite you to uh, go check it out. Love that. Love it. Love it, Michael, and love this conversation. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Sharon. Thanks for listening to this episode of Fall in Love with Fitness. Whether you're already on your fitness journey or just getting started, we're in this together. Just head on over to iTunes, subscribe, and leave a review, and you'll be entered into the drawing to win my six-week transformation course. Then go to fallinlovewithfitness.com and get your free gift from me so you get back your energy and reinvigorate your life. Join me on the next episode and remember, you are an inspiration.